you the uh, right-handed defenseman that everybody's been looking for? <laughs> I don't know. We're just uh, going where I'm going to ask, so... Um, They're not going to move you back to defense for the rest of the year because Ilya Labushkin was acquired. So don't worry. It's the Fan Morning Show. It's Hour 3. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Um, So 32 Thoughts was just released with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. And uh, they talked about the Ilya Labushkin trade. Here is a clip on why it happened now. Giordano gets hurt. And first of all, you want to wish the best to Mark Giordano. Oh. Um, you know, that was a really heavy collision uh, into the boards. And you just hope that that's not going to be a long-term thing. They said head injury after the game. They didn't know. Just wishing him the best and hope he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gone through a lot lately. Um, but yeah, and, and while it wasn't directly as a result of the injury, there's no question that that exacerbated things. Um, they were looking for a right-hand shot anyway. They know Lubushkin. So that that's one thing. We talked about, you know, them knowing... Labushkin is a big part of this. Familiarity helps. Familiarity helps in a situation like this. For a pure rental, you want to know what you're getting when they come in. When they, when when GMs make trades, they make calls on guys. They don't just make a trade and bring a guy in. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, like they do their homework on these guys. But the homework was already done on Ilya Labushkin, uh, blockbuster or jumbo video as we're calling him, pure rental, because he's already been here. By the way, for you those know, that funny, maybe there, there are jumbo videos that apparently still exist, in case anybody was wondering. The guy actually pulling the trigger on the deal and the individual who has final say, the ultimate autonomy, is Brad Tree Living. And he wasn't here when that deal happened two years ago. He wasn't here to see Labushkin perform in a Leafs uniform for 31 games plus the postseason a couple of years ago. But everybody else within the organization is very familiar with him. So yeah. even though Brad Tree Living is the guy who's ultimately signing off and definitely has holds all the cards in his hands in terms of the the power to make those decisions, he trusted the feedback he received from other guys. So and he probably himself obviously likes the player, but I'm sure it was encouraging to hear feedback from his head coach, from scouts, from other front office personnel that said, "Yeah, this guy was good, and and we actually really think he's a he's a guy that can fit in nicely on our blue line. Um, let's also not forget that Brad Treliving likes a little bit of snot. Exactly, and, and the he, Russian bear has some snot. Yes, feels like a he's there to bring ferocity to the blue line. Yeah, that's I, I what say, he's there for. I would say that's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah, uh, I like it. Here's another clip from Thirty Two Thoughts with Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick um, on what's next. 
for the Toronto Maple Leafs? They were looking at a lot of right shot D. You know, they were looking at David Savard, I think. But that's an easy easy one for Montreal in the sense that they can just kind of sit there and, and, and wait and say, you have to come to us and make us do it. Well, he's got I think term. They were, He's got term, he's got one so more sit, year. He's got sit, one more sit year. By. Yeah, sit by. I heard Nick Jensen was kind of a name that they were looking at. You know, one other guy I've wondered for Toronto if it would make any sense for them is a guy like uh, Mario Ferraro. Uh, just because, you know, he's a, a guy San Jose's look to move and he's a local guy. and uh, I. But, you know, he's a left-hand shot and they've got a lot of left-hand shots. I think the priority right now is righty, but... Uh, priority right-handed, as we know. Makes sense. By the way, if you uh, if you want to listen to 32 Thoughts, download it where you get all your favorite podcasts, wherever you, podcatcher you use. It is available now. Um, Mario Ferrero is interesting. Shout out King City, Ontario for Mario <laughs> Ferrero, home of King City Secondary School and the Lions. Yes, but I visited that school once. I have been there. I went to school there. I, I know you did. That's an old school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know they... Side note, they actually had a radio station at the high school at one point. Oh, that's really cool. And somebody actually, told me about it. I'm like, there's no way that that existed. I could, in my four and a half years that I was there, I went back for a victory lap, relax. I graduated um, with honors. And look where you are now. And look where I am now. <laughs> um, could never find it in the four and a half years that I was really? there. Apparently, it, it existed well, at one juncture. I And somebody told me it was still around. Never saw it. Uh, speaking of which, so I had the pleasure and privilege of coaching basketball at Vaughn Secondary School. It's now called Hodan Nalea Secondary School up in Thornhill, obviously former mm-hmm. home of Andrew Wiggins. My brother attended that school. And yeah, the, even Vaughn had uh, and still does have a radio station built into the school. And it, and it airs. You can actually have it on the FM dial. It's really cool. My brother, oh, that's nice. my brother hosted shows and did things. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I didn't have that luxury. They probably wouldn't have trusted me to do that anyway in high school. Got <laughs> a foul mouth. Um, <laughs> but based on based on what we heard there, I think like no surprises here. No surprises. Um, David Savard's name has come up percolated lately. We've heard it this week. Uh, David Amber brought up his name as well, more like, you know, this was a guy that Tampa Bay acquired, but then it got us thinking like David Savard's a good fit. Yes. And a lot of people have talked about it. The Mario Ferrero one is interesting because that's not a name that we've heard a lot of. And like Elliot mentioned, he's a left-handed shot. So maybe not the priority uh, unless he can play the right side of the defense. Um, But we'll see. We'll see where this one goes. Um, More Leafs talk later on in the hour. Talk to Joshua Cloak from The Athletic. Uh, but joining us now on the line, he's the radio analyst for the Toronto Raptors. He is Paul Jones. This insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Hello, Jonesy. Good morning. Uh, I'm, uh, good morning, guys. It's, it's uh, apropos that I'm hearing all your talk about school. Uh, I'm having a flashback. Marchese, you know me. I'm not... I'm a night owl. Like yep. this is like this is like the eclipse for you guys. Like the <laughs> comet. Like eight o'clock in the morning. Not since my days of being a principal. And I and I heard you guys talking about your schools, and I'm going to tie it together. You're not going to like this either one of you. Okay. <laughs> having been where you went to school, only because of our colleague and our friend Danielle Michaud, is my backside out of bed this early to go and do an assembly at her former high school, Dr. G.W. Williams in Aurora. Nice. Okay. Nice. Because they are in the the Larry O'Brien 
race of high school basketball known as the Offsa Championship. There we go, Jonesy. Look at that. Uh, I filled vending machines at GW Williams. Once again, like when I was a kid, basketball and school got my butt out of bed early because that was the that was the best thing about going to school. And I, I say this wholeheartedly as a principal. If it wasn't for the school teams and and the social part of it, high school would have been high school was was not great for me. It would have been even worse. It wasn't until I got to university and graduate school that I actually started to to buckle down. So I, I'm, I'm going to tell the guys at Williams. I'm cheering for you until you meet my old high school, Oakwood Collegiate, <laughs> who are the number oh, one seed. Really? And okay, de- nice. And defending OFSA champions. Okay, Jonesy, this is great. Oh, my God. You yeah. just, you, I mean, you're, this is right up my alley, and you put a big smile on my face, man. So one thing, I have a bone to pick with your, with your alma mater because I had the privilege of coaching at OFSA. This was in 2020, so right before the Hold pandemic. Hold on a second. Yes. Hold on, D. Yes. A bone to pick? Like, we are the Boston Celtics of high school basketball. <laughs> All right? All right? Far back when you guys hey. when, when you guys weren't even thought. That's true. You're right. In 1976, when I graduated from Oakwood, and this is what makes Ops special, we could not play because our teachers were on strike, and we were clearly rolling people by 30 and 35 points that year the best team in the province, mm-hmm. but the other teachers voted not to let us go because oh. they didn't like the fact that our coach, Al Quantz, who later worked for the Raptors, kept us playing in the event that the teacher strike would settle by March. Mm. And so we were, we were disqualified for attending office. So screw it. We got camp, <laughs> we got shirts. We got shirts that had a picture of the province of Ontario and Oakwood basketball underneath with the number one in the middle. There you go. Have, have your paper champions. Okay. We know who the real champs are. <laughs> That's all good. Hey, I was just going to say, so I, I went, I've been to Opsa once as a, as a coach. Well, actually twice, once as a head coach. And we lost to Oakwood in our second round game, which obviously prevented us from advancing into the uh, into the championship side of the bracket onto, I think, the quarterfinals at that point. We were like the ninth seed, and I think they were seven or something like that. So it was, and, and it was a great matchup. But yes, that'll always haunt me, at least until the next time I have an opportunity to actually compete against them in that setting. But God, yeah, you're right up my alley, Jonesy. And I know JW, uh, J, uh, not JW, GW Williams, the wire double a triple a champs this year. And that was a record previously held for like 15 years by Vaughn secondary school. So there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. No, mention, you go. no mention of King city. Cause we were just good at baseball. So anyway, um, besides the point, uh, so Jonesy wraps in the warriors tonight. You can actually listen to Jonesy on the call tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan They, you know, a game against the Warriors. Steph Curry's in town. Wanted to ask you about, this offense and the offense has looked good lately. The ball movement has been fantastic. They've shot the ball a lot better. We've seen improvements from guys like Grady Dick. Emmanuel quickly has been awesome. RJ Barrett down the list, but they also play two teams that don't necessarily like to play defense and certainly don't play it all that well. Is tonight mm-hmm. the matchup where you look at and go, we're going to learn a little bit more about the Toronto Raptors and specifically this offense with these younger players. Yeah, um, you know, Matt, and this is something that uh, you know, as as uh, as I call it, you know, the the the, the old man. The, I'm I'm waving my cane right now because the NBA 
would rather see 121-119 than 93-91. And so defense is kind of a passing thought at times in the NBA. So your offense has to keep you in games. And Golden State might be the ultimate team when it comes to that. I mean, they started this trend of you got to score to keep up and you don't depend on your defense so much. But uh, listen, I think the Raptors are still young in that sense and developing and tip of the cap to Darko Ryakovich, who's probably on about his third team over the course of the season with the trades. And it looks nothing like training camp with the likes of Pascal, OG, you know, precious, like it's a totally different team, a younger team. They don't practice a lot, but yet I see flashes of them coming together. So your offense is definitely going to get, uh, you know, they're, they're going to get a, a test the same way they did the other night against Luca. I mean, that game had 259 points total. So, uh, yeah, to your point, but I love what Darko's doing. I love the philosophy, how they're trying to play, how they are playing at times, shooting the ball, sharing the ball, moving the ball. Everybody gets involved. It's done wonders for a, a kid like R.J. Barrett, who's, who's in a, a, a great system now and doesn't have to stand in the corner and wait for the ball like he did at his previous team. Yeah, I really like the evolution that we've seen from Darko, uh, especially since the All-Star break, uh, but it feels like this team is playing really inspired basketball. You mentioned RJ there, Jonesy, and I did want to hone in on him because uh, he's sort of, I don't want to say the forgotten man, but like we, we focus a lot of attention on Scotty. A lot of people are very curious about what IQ can eventually become, but when with RJ, he's been their most consistent player, arguably, since since he's arrived here with the Raptors, and, and over this 20-plus game sample size that we've seen. He's been their leading scorer consistently night in, night out. Uh, What do you project or what do you think the potential ceiling of a player like that is? Because I think we're still trying. We think Scotty has uh, the ceiling could be superstar. We're trying to figure out what that is for IQ. What do you see with RJ and where his ceiling potentially lies long term? Listen, if they're going to give him the recognition, uh, he's got got a really high ceiling. You know, probably that close to Scotty's in terms of uh, you know, what he's able to do. I, I don't know if he'll, he will be as dynamic consistently, but you're seeing now from him what you saw at every level before he went to the Knicks. The, 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 he's a sneaky good rebounder. Uh, he, he passes the ball. He gives it up. In New York, when he got the ball, it was like, it was like pickup. Well, I haven't touched it for a while, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something here. And I don't care if it's a bad shot. I want to feel like I'm doing something. And that, I wouldn't say was a prevailing attitude, but it happens when you're playing with two guys like Brunson and, and, and Randall in particular that, you know, they, they're, they're ball dominant. So, I, I mean, to your question, I think he's got a huge – the ceiling is really, really high for him. Like I said, sneaky good rebounder, passes the ball well. You see him leading the break, uh, gets downhill, gets to the basket – has become a better three-point shooter. So uh, it, there's, a, there's a really high ceiling for him. And if you're the Raptors, you're, you're kind of fortunate in that he's already signed his, his deal thanks to the Knicks, and you don't have to worry about him for the next few years uh, Well, until he starts to perform and he says, when am I up for a new deal? Paul Jones, Raptors radio analyst, joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So, Jonesy, when we're talking about the Raptors here and we're talking about, you know, the, the evolution of this team, there's one, there's a, there's a couple of 
guys in particular, and they're they're older players in a sense of age and and both in experience as well. But you know, there was a lot of people that criticized the Jakob Pertl signing, and I, I for one was one of them. I, I didn't think that in this team's development that this was the right move to make, considering I didn't see them as a you know a contending team. So maybe spend your money elsewhere, but. What we've seen of late, especially the the meshing between both Jakob Pertl and Kelly Olenek being on the floor, being two different types of bigs and being hard to handle defensively. I think Jakob Pertl's had a really good season and we've seen, a, a you know, kind of an evolution in his game as well and, and how he's meshed really well with the younger players. Can you speak to the job that Jakob Pertl's done and, and maybe how his game has changed a little bit under Darko? He's just a solid professional um, and I mean, he's doing, he's doing uh, what Darko needs in the offense. I mean, the big man has to be a facilitator, has to be able to to to, to pass, to to finish, uh, to score, and and you know, unlike a lot of big men who sometimes forget that they're seven feet, Pirtle has no problem playing close to the basket, protecting the rim, and giving me you know, big man things down there in terms of his footwork, his scoring, uh, the little floaters, the, the jump hooks, the drop steps. And then you've got that, all that in Kelly with the added dimension of being able to step out and shoot the three. And as much as this game is going five out and perimeter and positionless, a good big still beats a good little when all the skills are equal. So, you know, you look at Kelly being able to handle, handle the ball, pass the ball, uh, you know, score it on the inside, uh, you know, stretch the floor. They need that. They need that. So I, I, the other part of it, too, is a, a guy like Pirtle, hey, there are still guys in this league that you need to play against that play that way, traditional. Jokic, Embiid, uh, you know, at a bio to a sense. There, there are still big guys that, play the old traditional way and you need a big guy to guard them you need a big guy to cover them and match up with them and that's why a guy like Pirtle I think is a great a great fit a a steady uh, professional veteran for this team it's gonna be very interesting to see how things play out tonight Jonesy thanks so much for taking some time as always uh enjoy enjoy your your little um powwow at GW Williams and sorry you had to get out of bed this morning uh, only for you guys and for basketball. That's it. That's uh, it. Thanks, Jonesy. We love it. Thanks, Jonesy. All there, right, guys. There he goes. Paul Jones, Raptors radio analyst. That insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. You can listen to Jonesy and Eric on the call tonight on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, you can also watch it on TV. Matt Devlin, Alvin Williams on the call tip-off set for 730, which means... They'll tip off at 740. And uh, the Warriors come into this one. They've won five of their last six. They've been Including hot. last night against the Knicks. You wanted to have this conversation about Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah. Players that, or athletes that you pay to go see. Yes. Steph Curry is still one of those guys. You know, Steph Curry is what I call the, the greatest shooter that we've ever seen in NBA history. Yeah. And, you know, would you... Are you of the the camp that you pay to go see Steph Curry still? Well, so there are certain athletes that I refer to and label as box office attractions. Yep. Like guys that get people 
off their couch, motivate people to get off their couch, adjust their life and their schedule in order to make sure you get down to an arena to see them play. Not, I don't know how many, like it's, it's a, it's a finite list, right? It's not, it's not a long list of guys that are capable of doing that. Steph is still one of them. And I, and I actually, as I, and as I said the other day, when we talked about the Mavs game, I was, I, I knew Luca was a big star. But I even still, even knowing that, I underestimated how much of a draw he actually is. Yeah. Because there's always this palpable sense of excitement and anticipation when big stars come to Toronto. You feel it most. It's probably um, most profound within the NBA community because they do a great job of marketing the, their stars. And but, it's, but it's also like one player makes such a difference on your team too well, when you have a star. What's interesting, and I think this is why the NBA has the perfect formula for this notion of like, single individual box office attractions in sports. They have an advantage because even though it's a team sport, it is still inherently individualistic in terms of, as you put it, one guy can have such a profound impact on the game Mm -hmm. in hockey. As much as like Austin Matthews is a terrific player and he's a superstar. Same thing with Connor McDavid. McDavid might be an outlier, but like a Sidney Crosby or a Nathan McKinnon, the tricky thing is you can spend five, $600 and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to one game a season or one every two years, and I really want to see this guy play. They're going to play a third of the game. There you go. Yep. And and that is the tricky part with hockey. Baseball, you're going to go, and you're going to see a guy stand up there and take three, four at-bats. Now, I am I made a list of different guys, and I was trying to think, okay, who would I, who sort of fits that billing for me? Uh, funny story. Like, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. Steph was always that guy for me. Yeah. And I think he still is. Like, I think he's still one of the preeminent premier attractions sure. in basketball. But uh, to give you perspective, like m- a friend of mine, uh, he and I used to have a, a, a tradition every year where we would go watch two games. It would be the Raptors Clippers because he was a Clippers fan, a huge CP3 guy at the time. Like, how do you become a Clippers fan? But anyway. Very bizarre. But <laughs> but anyway, their team was good. It's like, how do you become a Titans fan? Well, I think it was more so he was very much invested in CP3 from like his college days sure, onward. Sure. So anyway. We used to go to that game, and we always used to go watch the Warriors. That became our thing until the Warriors became what the Warriors are now, and they are overly expensive, and it's hard to get in the building. But just before they truly, like, completely popped off, we used to go, and we had a nice run of two, three years. So I don't know. Like, I I, I always find it curious because I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people tonight that are going to the game specifically because it's Steph Curry. And – I wonder how many athletes there are in the world that actually have that type of pull okay. that can be that type of draw. Okay. It's so, interesting to me. So I, I will say this, and this may be hot takey for some. I don't, I don't think that that player exists in baseball and it's not because the player is not there. It's because of the sport itself. It's so stagnant that it doesn't have like, so you're going to go watch Shohei Otani hit a home run. Like, okay. Great. So I have, I, it's funny. I'm glad you, uh, it's great. And it's a, it's a good coincidence that you referenced Shohei and, and baseball. I think the best environment regular season wise, cause I've been to a, a couple playoff games here and there, like um, not a ton, obviously, cause it's very hard to get to these games, but I've, uh, I've been to a couple and that is a different level of excitement, energy, intensity in the building. But I think the best overall experience I've had as a fan going to any type of regular season sporting event in Toronto was when Shohei Otani came last year. The best I've ever experienced in my life. You could really talk about a palpable level of excitement and intrigue. The building was standing when that guy walked up to the plate for the first time. And and he homered. And it was 
the, might have been the loudest I've heard the Rogers Center. The dome was open, and it was insane how loud it was. You had people from all walks of life, fans of the Blue Jays, fans of the Angels, fans of Otani himself, just the athlete, that were going bananas over this guy. Like, I stood up and was in awe watching him hit the home run on the first pitch of his at-bat. It was a phenomenal moment. Now, I get you're not going to experience that every single time, but I can tell you that guy moves the needle, Maddie. And I, I firsthand, I can say that. I, I, I don't disagree, I, but I think you need to separate the experience from the thought of I'm paying to go see this guy. Yeah, but it's I think not, that factors in. Like, but, like Curry to me is, is the same thing because you know you're going to watch Curry – because you want to see the greatest shooter of all time. But but what I'm saying is the excitement, like, there's a chance if you go see Shohei Otani, he's going to be DHing. So you're literally going to... He always DHs. Okay. That's what he does. He doesn't that, play a position. Yeah, he doesn't do that anymore. And, <laughs> never. And, he's and, never done it and except he for pitching. And he doesn't pitch now. So if you go see him, you know, if the, if the I don't even know if the Dodgers are in Toronto. They are coming. Okay. Late April. Okay. It's going to be, but he's going to be a villain this time around. Of course That's he is. Sure. He's going to get booed. But point being is that you're going to go up and watch him you know, you're going to see him hit three times, maybe four. And yeah, then like, see that, to, see that to me, I don't find the value in that. I'll just sit up at home and watch that. Now, hockey, on the other hand, or basketball, where these guys are on in the field of play more. Yes. Where I can get to watch them and at a different speed than baseball. Yep. Same thing with football. Like you pay to go see Patrick Mahomes agree more. or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. I, for me, and I like baseball just as much as the next guy, but. I don't see the value in paying to go see a specific player. Whereas in hockey, like go pay your money. I've seen Connor McDavid live. Granted, I didn't pay for the ticket. <laughs> it was it was given to me. See, he's a fraud, folks. <laughs> Just no, like but he's the like I actually made wrote down names from different sports, and for me in the NHL, the only guy, the only guy is Connor McDavid. Oh man, Nathan McKinnon is musty viewing, and and Nikita Kucherov, even though he doesn't play the same way, musty for me anyway. That, that's my. It's opinion. also different because you're more of a hockey guy than I am. Yeah, and but, that's fair. So my my and baseball though. In fairness to you, Maddie, the one name I actually wrote down because I am I'm very. There's a lot of what you said there that I agree with. The only name I wrote down was Shohei Otani. I was gonna say that's, that's if, the if there only was, name because you can say I watched the unicorn play. But yeah, again, is, well, you're gonna is say even the Babe a uni- Ruth of yeah. this generation is, is even the uni- play. Is he even the unicorn anymore? Because he doesn't even. He's no, not no, going to be pitching this he, year. Well, it's okay. He has he's going to pitch again. We'll see if Maybe. he's if, no. He will pitch again. Will he be okay. the same pitcher? I don't know, but he will pitch again. But Shohei, see, and, and actually, um, oh, I won't, I won't say it. I won't out them. But anyway, there was a discussion that happened in our newsroom where people were pondering: Is Shohei Otani even at this stage, given that he's not pitching this year, is he still a top five player in baseball? And I think just by default, you have to kind of put him in there. Like, look at the guy swing the bat. Just watch him taking that bat, man. Yeah. Just watch him taking that bat. So, he's, he is. Even as a pure DH, man, he's still one of the biggest attractions, not just in baseball and all the sports. So here's another, this. Patrick and Brampton brings up a good point. Um, he says, you guys know football is one of the sports. Uh, it's kind of convoluted. But anyway, um, in soccer, like you pay to go see Lionel Messi. You pay to go see Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, he said, I think Mbappe. Mbappe. Or no, he, I don't think he referenced it. But Mbappe is another guy for sure. Yeah, like I, I think that there is like soccer definitely. But again, if I'm, I guess it's also too because of the sport and it's it's just starting to really gain traction here on like a bigger, more substantial level in terms of international play and whatever. And no disrespect to 
TFC or, or whatever. But like, if I'm going to pay to see a soccer game, I'm going to put my money towards when the world cup comes here. I'm going to go, you know, like, or Canada plays a big game, whatever. Like that's the type of thing they do. So in soccer, because there are a lot of stars, but there's a lot of stars. And so Messi is like a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo would be once in a lifetime thing. After that, in my generation, there's not a player that I would go and pay to go see because those guys are two of the greatest that we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we got to take a break. Uh, When we come back, Joshua Cloak from The Athletic will join us. uh, More on the Labushkin trade, where things are heading here for the Toronto Maple Leafs heading into the weekend, and a big hockey night in Canada matchup tomorrow night against the New York Rangers. All that and more when we come back. It's the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is not Palazzo on Friday night. This is for Mike and Khaled who said, every segment that you guys talk about Ilya Labushkin, you should play Be My Lover by Labush. That's a great call by Mike. But no, this is not Palazzo on a Friday night. Daniele has his glow sticks, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) I have no good segue for this next guest, but I will try (laughs) based on... We're talking about the Bush. That's what we're talking about here. I, I hope Joshua Cloak, Cloak uh, really enjoyed that intro as much as Daniele did. Uh, did Joshua Cloak it. from The Athletic joins us. How are you this morning? Yeah, that's a two out of ten intro. Oh, Josh! If, if, only because, if only because, like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting old, but if I walked into any establishment and they were playing that, uh, yeah, I'd break I'd break the land speed record to get out of there. So bad, bad memories from the uh, mid '90s, Josh, or what? Well, yeah, let's just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can do that. Uh, we can move on to the big news of well, last night into this morning, and that is the Ilya Labushkin trade to Toronto, a third round pick and a sixth round pick in a three team deal that also involved uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, of course, along with the uh, Anaheim Ducks. Now. What what was what was your reaction when you saw this this trade come across? Like, I mean, I don't think anybody's super surprised, but when you saw that it was Labushkin, what was your first instinct? Uh, my first instinct was to find, you know, that that Larry David gif where you're just kind of going, eh, <laughs> like it's 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 fine, like it it it, it fills a need, um, but I and, and I wrote this at the Athletic, like it. It, it's fine on paper in that, like, yeah, did the Leafs need, you know, kind of this rugged, stable, defense-first blue liner? Yes. Did they need that kind of blue liner who is more suited to a third-pair role? Not really. You know, they have a lot of those, or they, you know, they did going into last night's game before the injury to Mark Giordano. Like, I, I, I guess if you had made this addition perhaps at like, you know, one o'clock on Friday, and it's like the last piece you add to kind of shore up the team, maybe you can sell it a little better that way. But if this is the only deal you're making, I'm not necessarily saying that's the case, but it it just feels like, 
you know, when there was a top four defenseman that needed to be added, which there was, and, you know, that defenseman went off the market, the Leafs just went for the next best thing and then also kind of paid similar to, to what they probably wanted to for Chris Tanev anyway. So while it's fine, it just feels like a little bit more of the same, and I don't know if it necessarily makes your team better as much as it does just make you a little bit more, I don't know, stable and provide you some depth. It certainly feels like, Josh, that they, they had to pay a premium because of the retention, the double retention that's involved, and maybe that was probably, I, I would imagine that was part of the equation in terms of the picks that were exchanged as part of this three-team deal. Um, but now, you know, bigger picture as we move forward here, What's next? Like, what is there another move that Bradtree Living can make here that can appreciably improve the blue line and fill some of those holes? Because I, like you, look at it and say, it's a fine addition. Um, it fulfills a clear area of need in terms of adding more depth and specifically on the right side. But I don't project this to be a guy that's going to be able to play consistently in your top four, for example. So is there something else that you think could be on the horizon for this team before next Friday's deadline? Well, I think so because of what you mentioned, the double retention. You know, if if this was the only move you're going to make, and again, this is the kind of piece that you add just to shore things up and you add it on Friday, for example, and you do it for a you know, a fourth round pick, no retention, whatever, something like that, you know, maybe that, that's, that's, that's fine. But the double retention on a cap hit, Lubushkin cap hit that, you know, is not completely unmanageable. That suggests to me that, that Brad Tree Living still wants to make moves and still has, you know, moves that, that he's planning on making. And that's why he needs to, to keep that cap space um, that he, he, you know, he's, he has and he's trying to get. Uh, I, I think it's important to remember here that, you know, the, the Leafs don't just need a right shot defenseman. I know that's kind of been the the three words that have been on everyone's mind over the past few days, but like you do need another center to kind of ease the, the you know, ease what, what Max Domi and, and David Camp can bring, right? We're, we're not seeing John Tavares at his best right now. And I think that only exacerbates the need for for that you know, bottom six defensemen. So I, I think that's the type of player that is on Tree Living's shopping list as well. I originally thought when the news came down or began to came down last night about um, Labushkin that it was going to be a bigger deal, especially if there's double retention. It wasn't. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, anytime you, you get double retention on a cap hit that's quite small, uh, you have to believe that there's something else coming and you have to believe that that cap space is going to be used for a reason. Joshua Cloak from The Athletic, joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So you talk about, there, you know, there, you, we anticipate, or at least we would hope that there's another move to be made here. The one thing that we keep hearing about is this first-round pick for this year. We had Sam Cosentino on in the last hour, and he was talking about the value of said pick. And he said, basically, up until 20, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. But after that, it becomes kind of a, you know, a pick that doesn't have nearly as much value as it would in other years. And, and other teams know that. Do you believe that the Leafs have a willingness to move this first-round pick if it's for a you know a, a better rental? I don't. Maybe the, that guy doesn't even exist out there right now. Or do you think that that deal involving a first-round pick is only if it helps them beyond this year as well? 
Yeah, I don't. And the, the whole discussion, I guess the philosophy around the first round pick is an interesting one. And it's, it's a debate that I've been having a lot with colleagues. I, I don't see any value in moving a first round pick, even a late one for a rental, because, I mean, we're, we're talking about a world where Easton Cowan could be on your roster right now. And we're talking about a world where Easton Cowan is, you know, one of the most popular players in the organization. He's on a 27-game point streak for the London Knights. You know, this is a player that the Leafs were able to nab in the late first round. And I think he projects to be an NHLer. So I guess I don't really buy the argument that after 20, the pick just kind of loses its value. I think the Leafs have done really, really well at mining this draft, you know, under Wes Clark to be able to find players of value outside the top 20, Fraser Mitten, Easton Cowan, Matthew Nyes, who, you know, was a, had a goal and an assist last night. This is a player found in the first round. So I, I wouldn't be willing. And again, this is more of an organizational philosophy. If, if I got to be GM for, for a day, uh, I wouldn't be willing to move the first round pick, especially if I think as, as much time and effort and resources into drafting and developing that the Leafs do. Um, so anyway, there's my philosophical argument for the day done. But look, if you can find a player like Adam Larson, for example, right shot defenseman, Seattle Kraken, fills a need. The Leafs have had interest in him before. He's signed beyond this season. If you can package a first-round pick, uh, maybe get some retention, maybe get another piece thrown in, sure, because there's a, a player that you can kind of build around, not just for a few weeks in the springtime, right? Like, I don't know. I'm still not completely sold, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Um, I'll be wrong again, but, like, I'm just not completely sold on this team uh, and their chances in a way that I was in 2021, you know, when when they went all, all in. So, I don't know. Keep the pick is, is my thinking because it's pretty clear that they can turn that pick into something of value uh, who can help you longer than for just a few weeks in, in the spring. And I don't, I don't think there's any willingness on the Leafs part to move Cowan or Minton. And I think that first round pick is, is right up there as well. But then you, you kind of limit what you're able to do because if you have one of the few, you know, desirable right shot defenseman left, you know, Savard, Walker, um, the, the, the price is going up, right? You know, that last point that you just referenced there, Josh, um, is exactly, precisely my biggest source of contention when it comes to potentially trading another first-round pick. It's the fact that, and we see this in other sports, football's a, there's a great example to be had in football, but young players are might have more value to your organization than to others in terms of being trade chips and guys that you can pony up as assets. And I mean that from the standpoint of if you can have, at some point you need young players, given especially the way the Leafs roster is constructed, you need young players who are cheap to be good and to be impactful at the NHL level. If you don't have that, you're going to have a hard time developing a championship caliber team 
when a lot of your cap space is tied up amongst five players. And I think that's where the Leafs have been down this road of, okay, we're going, we're, we're pushing chips in, we're pushing chips in, but at some point maybe some refrain is required, and that is my biggest source of contention. So I guess what my next question, where that leads me next is, Josh, if we're saying, okay, we know the first-round pick is probably the most valuable asset they have. We know they're not eager to move off of their top prospects in Cowan and Minton. Well, what other assets do they actually have then that they can now go shop around ahead of next Friday that hold enough value to potentially garner something in return? Well, not much. I mean, because they don't have any second-round picks. Yep. Um, they just flipped a third-round pick. Um, I guess that the assets that we're looking at ahead of Friday, um, like uh, I might catch some stick for this, but I, I put Toby Niemla in that group of Cowan and Minton because he's a right shot defenseman, a second round draft pick who's finishing up a very, very good rookie season in the AHL. And he already has three or four seasons of professional experience in Finland under his belt. So this is a player that I think will get a long look in training camp, you know, next year. And like, it's, it's just strange to me that, you know, we're talking out loud for the last two weeks about at least need a right shot defenseman, at least need a right shot defenseman. And they have one in the organization that they're kind of developing really, really well. So I, you know, I, I would put him in there. Um, perhaps he has some value to, to other teams. And then we land on, on the player that, you know, is just kind of a constant in trade talks around Toronto. And that's Nick Robertson, um, who has looked far better this season than in past seasons. He's looked like an NHL player in part because he stayed healthy all season, which has been a challenge for him to do throughout his professional career. Like he's scoring at a decent pace, but he's probably never going to be a top six player on this team. Just again, as you mentioned, the way that the roster is constructed, he can't be a, a, a fourth line player either because he needs, you know, playmakers around him to put him in the best position to, to get his lethal shot off. So I wonder if there's a kind of, bottom 10, bottom 12 team around the NHL that's rebuilding and, and looks at Robertson and says, here's a player who has pedigree, second round pick. Um, we know that he can score. We know that he has one of the best shots on his team. We also know that he hasn't gotten a lot of runway to play. Um, maybe we can turn him into something. You, you have to really kind of dig deep to find that team. But I do wonder if there's a team out there that looks at Nick Robertson and, and, and says we value him differently than other teams might because, I, frankly, I think, you know, Nick Robertson is still working to earn Sheldon Keefe's trust. And I, I, I don't know for certain if it's ever going to come. Um, and that, that those kind of things just happen in professional sports. So I do wonder if there's a team that, that looks at him and says, yeah, like we could flip one of our players on an expiring deal out for him. Um, because when we're talking assets, that's where it kind of, like if you're not going to move the first-round pick and if you're not going to move Topi Niemla, and I'm high on him, but it kind of then begins and ends with, with Nick Robertson, doesn't it? Joshua, I got, a, I got a minute for this answer here. So Joseph Wall plays okay. last night, um, looked really good in his return to the NHL. Do you think all the conversations about the Leafs looking at the goaltending market are now done? Oh, yeah, for sure. They have to be. They have to be. That's that's an easy answer because 
you their their plan is to carry three goaltenders from here on in. And I, I don't know why you would want to supplement that because now you have and it's early, but Joseph Wall looked more than fine last night. Um, and I think he's been fine for a while now, just in terms of his health. I don't think they're kind of like working to get him back. I think he's back. Like the only question you know now have is like, who do you think is going to be your game one playoff starter? This is such a fascinating kind of conversation to me. And I think after the trade that deadline is going to become the biggest conversation around the Leafs because you can go with Joseph Wall, who I think they in their gut, they probably think is the better like technical goaltender and maybe has a little bit more, I don't know, mental fortitude uh, they, that, as, as they see it. But he's also young and inexperienced and he's a little bit, not necessarily injury prone, but he's had a recent injury history. But then if you do that, you're kind of risking uh, Elias Samsonov because as we know, and as I've written about, he's had kind of a tough road back in terms of his mental, you know, climb back to, to where he is. Perhaps they're thinking it makes more sense to start with Samsonov, who I think has played well in his own right. Uh, and then you have a really good fallback option in Joseph Wall. Uh, this is going to be the biggest kind of question for them to answer over the next few weeks after the trade deadline, because I don't know if there is a clear answer in terms of their game one starter right now. I would, I tend to agree with that. It's going to be a fascinating storyline going forward. Uh, listen, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Greatly appreciated and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. It should be a good one against the Rangers. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks so much. There he goes. Joshua Cloak from The Athletic covers the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, that is that is going to be the question after the trade deadline. You know, talking about storylines, you know, it, it, may be, it may be who's going to play with Morgan Riley, but we may have that question answered by the deadline. Oh, they better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, or, or, yeah. Or we have that answer right now. It's, it's Ilya Labushkin, and we're going to see. I don't think so. I really uh, don't. Deep down, I really don't think so. But I, I, I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong. But I, I feel like that's where it's going to be. But the, it is going to be, it is going to be the goaltending question. for sure. And for who sure. is going to be that guy? And like I said earlier in the show, I think they want it to be Joseph Wall. They won't say it, but yes, they I, won't say. It. They would never explicitly no, tell no, you that. No. But I think they want it to be Joseph Wall because I think Joseph Wall instills the most confidence with this group. We talked. He looked comfortable yesterday. Mm-hmm. Again, for sure. The Arizona Coyotes, not murderers row by any stretch of the imagination. But he looked confident. He looked like a guy that was not flustered by any situation. Again, it's the Arizona Coyotes. Hey, but you still got to beat the team that's in that's front what of you. I was going to say, at the end of the day, you still got to stop the puck. Still an NHL team. Right? You still got to stop the puck and tend team. the goal. That's your job, and you got to do it. And he did it. And he did a really good job of it yesterday. The Leafs get the 4 2 victory. Um, Austin Matthews. We didn't even talk about Austin Matthews scoring again. Yeah, we didn't. And 74. Back the, on track. The pace. I think seven. I mean, I know I kind of joked about 80 because he was just tearing. He was just tearing it up. He, well, at the time, he was last week, a week ago today. Out. He was on pace for 77. But, but so. you know what happens, though? Austin Matthews goes through those stretchers. Yeah. He's like, he's got three and seven. Exactly. And then he goes, you know, where he has 10 and five. Yeah. Like he had He'll just have two hat tricks and boom. Yeah. And then we go. And they're like, oh, good. Look at that. He's yeah. back on the, the 80 number, train. The again. number explodes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So listen, <laughs> I said this yesterday when we left. Something could happen, and we could have a trade, and sure enough, we had a trade. There's lots it that can happen. Late, but it we did. did get it. It did when I was asleep. Uh, so lots can happen from now until the trade deadline, which is next Friday. Of course, Sportsnet will have you covered. I don't know what time they start, but it's usually early enough that 
you know, yes. you'll know. Uh, Full will, day's worth of coverage, top to bottom. Yeah, I will be on the air as well, 12 to 2 with Gord Stelic. Uh It's been a fun week, buddy. Yes, Maddie. Uh, Very this fun. Has been, this has been, I mean, the mornings are tough. Oh. Uh, hopefully we've provided <laughs> enough entertainment for the listeners. I'll be back here on Monday in this chair or the one you're sitting in with Brent Gunning. Uh, thank you to Jeff Azaparty who produced us Monday to Thursday. Yep. Thank you to Austin Mackey behind the glass today producing and Josh Santos playing the keys. Mm-hmm. Getting us on and off the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some, probably like it better when we Thank off. you for tolerating my uh, incompetence when it comes to movies and music. I, li- I love it all the way, buddy. <laughs> uh, have a great weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you on Monday.